0: For those of you who are taking it for credit, these are your reading assignments because you need to read the Bible, and you need to read the Bible slow. This is not a novel. You need to to read slow, take your time, and allow the Spirit of God to reveal His Word to you. Those of you who are not taking it for credit are not required to do this, unless the Lord has you do it. Eric just said that there's no requirement for those who are not taking it for credit, but see, what is the Lord requiring of you? He may require you to do some of the work. So, with that being said, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now, with Samuel... The period of the judges, as we're going to find out when we continue in Samuel, the period of the judges is going to come to an end. And do you know, I'm assuming you know what a theocracy is. A theocracy is the direct governing of a nation by God through his representatives, which were, in the beginning, Moses, uh, Aaron, Joshua, and then you, you have the judges. So God chose men, and He chose people to govern through them, to lead the nation, uh, to lead a particular area of, of in Judges, certain areas where these men were, and that was a theocracy. That's something that we'll talk about later on. But this is going to be something different. This is going to come to an end. That that which has never been before, other than in Israel, a theocracy. And has never been since. God wanted it that way, but because men were rebellious, God couldn't do what He wanted to do, and He gave them a king eventually. Now, the first chapter of 1 Samuel, you have the family of Elkanah. Just give you an overview. Then you have Hannah's vow. Elkanah was uh, Hannah's husband, and then you have Samuel being born and dedicated. In chapter 2, you have Hannah's prayer, You have, and we'll look at uh, part of that, and we'll look at the sons of Eli. Uh, then you see Samuel's childhood, and there's so much there. Uh, I would, would love to spend time looking at that, but we're not going to have, have time to do that. And then you have the prophecy against Eli's house, and we're going to look at that. So in chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, Hannah's husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So her adversary was saying and mocking her because she was barren. One of the things, who can tell me this? Why the women in Israel, all of them, wanted to be pregnant? Why was this such a... An overwhelming thing. You know, and of course, there's two reasons. I didn't see any hands. We carry on the line. That's one reason. That's another reason, actually. Uh, it was a cultural thing, and I don't know if this is what you're referring to, but uh, they became a widow. The only hope they had of stay, stay alive was their son's. Well, it's true, but I was thinking more along the lines of they wanted, they knew there was a promised Messiah, and they wanted it to come from their him to come from their lineage, and they all this was such a a strong thing there that one of the most shameful things in their society was for a woman to be barren. See, very different than our society or a lot of societies today, but her adversary the other woman there, she's mocking her, she's saying things about her, and, and Hannah is wanting to become pregnant. She wants a man from the Lord. In uh, verse 11, Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaiden and remember me, and not forget your, your maidservant, but will, will give your maidservant a male child, And I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So she makes this vow. And I have seen people make vows. Now, a vow is not bad. But I will say, don't make a vow to the Lord if you're not going to keep it. Don't say, Lord, if you do this for me or you do that for me, I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll dedicate my life to you, whatever it may be. Do it if you're going to follow through. Hannah here meant it in her heart. She, she makes this vow, and she's serious. And what she's, what she's asking the Lord is something far beyond sometimes we understand. Just think about if any of you had children. She's going to take her child when the child is weaned, and she's going to take him to the temple, and she's going to see him once a year. Now, that's pretty rough, but she had this desire for a child, and she had this desire to give this child to the Lord, which is tremendous. And I say, Lord, in my heart, do I have something that I want to give to you? Is there something, Lord, that I can give to you so that will be now yours forever? And I, I love this vow. Now in verse 24, this is after she becomes pregnant with Samuel. In verse 24, Now when she had weaned him, she took took, up, excuse me, she took him up with her with three bowls, one ephah flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. Verse 28, Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. And when it says lent him to the Lord, that means that she gave him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent or given to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. And of course, her husband also uh, was in agreement with this. You know, in this verse, he is lent to the Lord, he is given to the Lord. Never to be taken back again, but given, given. Now, in verse 28, I want to read this from the Amplified. Therefore, I have given him to the Lord Lord, as 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 long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. And I believe the reason why Hannah could do this is because first she had given herself to the Lord. So there are things that we cannot do as a Christian, the Lord asking, or even if we want to, because we have not given ourselves to the Lord. But whenever we do, and we're serious, and we say, Lord, I am yours, take me, use me, whatever it may be. No matter what you call me to do, Lord, I will do. No matter how hard it may be. If we can give ourselves to the Lord and commit our heart and our life to the Lord, then he can commit himself to you in a way that he never has before. And he can do things with our lives that he never could before. But see, many times we think that we're waiting for the Lord to move and the Lord is waiting for us to move. He's waiting for us to To open up our hands and say, Lord, here am I. Lord, I want more of you. Do you want more of Jesus? I hope that's why you're here. I hope you're not here to learn things. Because that is the wrong reason if you're here to learn things. You're here, you should be here to learn of Him. Who can open things to you and can reveal things to you. But you must be here. I must be here for the right reason, and that's not to know things and have all this knowledge here in my mind. Gets up so big, my head gets big, and I can, you know, tell you all about this and about that and quote this scripture. That's not what the Lord is looking for. He's looking for a heart, a heart that truly wants Him and gives themselves to Him. Well, that's the key for a deeper relationship. That's the beginning. You're on your way. And there are other factors too, but that's, that's a key thing. So she gives this little baby, Samuel, to Eli, to the house of the Lord. And you would think that now she's going to walk away and she's sad because she's leaving her child there. She's not going to see him. Chapter 2 is an unbelievable chapter. What comes out of the heart of this woman? And we're only going to just look at just, just the two, first two verses. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've given myself to the Lord. My heart, reduce, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn or my strength is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise you, Lord. She sees something. Do you see that? She's committed. She commits her child. She sees something. No one is as holy. And I think, that this is missing in many places with many Christians. They don't live a holy life and they, they don't see the Lord as a holy God. So if the Lord is holy, what does he say in his word? Be ye, be you, you be holy as I am holy. So she says, no one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. Hallelujah. Nor is there any rock like our God. Praise the Lord. And if the Lord could somehow, some way, get a hold of our heart. See, do you want the Lord? Do you want to see? Do you want to pierce into the darkness and see things? Do you want to see the Lord in a way you never have seen him before? Well, you know what? The casual Christian won't see certain things. Those that are committed will not see certain things. But if the Lord can get your heart, and if you can commit your ways to Him, He will begin to open up to you His person, who He is, and you will begin to see that He is far, far above you, far above. and you will begin to see that He is holy. And when you see some of these things, even if we catch a little glimpse of it, that can help direct our lives in a way toward him to live a godly life, a holy life, and let all these other things that are distractions, even in the church, this isn't this way, this isn't that way, the sun's too high, the sun's too low, all the things that we know, all that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Why? Because the eyes have been opened to something. Nor is there any rock like our God. Let's move on in chapter 2 here. I want to contrast. The Bible teaches in contrast. you find this everywhere. And I like to point it out. I want to contrast... Samuel and the sons of Eli. You talk about being worlds apart. But you know, the contrast can be even be seen in the same pew in the church sometimes. Where you have someone who is serving God and their heart is just, phew, they want the Lord. They're serious. And then somebody next to them, they're like, well, I'm in church today because I know the Bible says I should be. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And and they're not there with a heart that wants him. So there's contrast everywhere. We just have to see them. In verse 11. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah. But the child Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. He's a very young child He put on the the priest's garment, the, the, the ephah, I believe it was, in the scripture, and begins to minister in the temple. Verse 24, no, excuse me, verse 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child wearing a linen ephah. So what do we see, Samuel, from the very beginning? Ministering to the Lord. Do you know that you can minister to the Lord? You don't have to go to the temple and, and do what the priest did. Do you know how you can minister to the Lord? There's various ways, a lot of different ways you can minister to the Lord. But to bring it down to where we are here at this time in this class. Allow him to have his way in you. Now, that's saying quite a bit. and I could teach the rest of this class on just that. But allow him. See, we're, we're created with a will. And the will of man gets in the way many times. So when I say allow him to have his way in our life, that's dealing with a surrendered heart to him. And when you have a surrendered heart, now, you know, whatever the Lord may ask or whatever it may be, you are low enough to do it. You know, a lot of Christians aren't low enough to do certain things. You know that. Amen. They aren't even low enough to allow someone to say something to them without a retort. Without saying something back to them. So, you know, we need to have the Lord bring us down. And then stay there. Now the contrast here. Let me see here. Verse 12. Still in chapter 2. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Now that's pretty strange. You think about this. Eli was the priest. He knew the Lord. He ministered uh, before the Lord. You see him in, in here doing certain things seeing whenever Samuel comes he says did you call me did you call me Eli Eli says no I didn't call you go back to sleep and he does that three times and then after three times he perceives I wonder why he didn't perceive earlier but he eventually perceives he says oh that's the Lord next time you hear the call say here I am Lord (laughs) I love that here I am Lord (laughs) <laughs> Can you say that to the Lord? Here I am, here I am Lord. Here I am. See, where are you tonight? See, I hope you're not here just to be here and to listen to a class. I hope you're here because the Lord has led you here. Now, if the Lord has led you here, then you need to be here. Simple, very simple. That's deep teaching, simplified. <laughs> be here. See, because this will be the place of your feeding, you will receive something here that you need. Now, I don't know what you need. My brother here doesn't know what you need. But I know one that does know what you need. And he is well able to meet our needs. We are a needy people. But sometimes our needs aren't met because... We're out hither and yon. They're everywhere, see? And we're not where the Lord has led us, and we forget where the Lord leads us, and we don't go back there, and we think that everything's fine. And then we're needy, and when need isn't met, and we say, well, if the Lord could say, well, you're not where you're supposed to be. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Adam? There you are. Well, I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> doing my own thing. Now that's, that's another thing. Boy. Another thing with Christians—they want to do their own thing, and not what God wants them to. I mean, it's one thing going to church. I—I I believe I go to church all the time, but church is not enough. Bible reading, prayer is not enough. See, that's not—we can make that into a religious tradition, just like the Pharisees. And we go, and we go through the motions. Don't come here and go through the motions. Come here with an open heart and say, Lord, help me. Lord, teach me. Lord, I want to know you more. I want to see you, Lord. Come with a heart that wants to draw from Jesus, and I guarantee you that the Lord will touch to give you what you need. Will touch the teacher. But sometimes it doesn't come out because the people aren't drawing it out. So, they didn't know the Lord. Eli knew the Lord. His sons did not know the Lord. They were corrupt, it says. The two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that's not, this is a different Phinehas. Um, Aaron's, one of Aaron's sons was Phinehas. That's a different, you know, just like there's different Johns in the Bible, you know, different different people with different names, same names, different people. This is, this is a different person. So, in... Verse 28, chapter 1, Hannah dedicates him. In verse 12 here, now we, we, saw, we saw how that um, Samuel ministered before the Lord. And now the contrast is Eli's sons were, um, let's just say, corrupt. In the King James, it uses the word Belial. And that word there means worthless. Let me read this from the Amplified because it really does a very good job in rendering this verse. The sons of Eli were base and worthless. They did not know or regard the Lord. The word here, different translations say different things. In my translation here, it says corrupt. That word means worthless, good for nothing, uh, unprofitable, wicked, Do we have any other meanings? Without use or worth. Without worth. So this was their life. Now in verse 13, this, we're going to read two verses here, and this tells us the, I don't want to say tradition, but the custom of the priests. Verse 13. Verse 13. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any, any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in, so they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Now, if you go into Leviticus, did you study Leviticus yet? No. Oh my goodness, what a book that is. Try reading through it, you'll find out, but I'm telling you it's one of the richest books in the Bible. One of the richest books. In chapter 7, the Lord lays out specific things that the priest must abide by. And in the law, the peace offering, they they had to to do certain things a certain way and they were given certain directions. And I don't have it in my notes, but I remember that, I don't know if it's in chapter 7 or not, but one of the the, the things that the priest, one of their portions was the, the right shoulder and the heave breast. That was they, they would take it and heave it you know, like this. That was their portion. And one of the things specified was that they had to burn the fat on the fire. Now, it doesn't give us details here of what exactly Eli's sons did. But we do know that they didn't do what the law says. And we'll see that in a, in a minute here. Verse 15, also before they burned the fat, see, before they burned the fat, they were supposed to burn the fat on the fire. The priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from from you, but raw. And he goes on, he says, and if any man said to him, uh, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take, as much as, you, as your heart desires, he would answer, answer him, no, but you must give it now, and if not, I will, I will take it by force. So what they were doing was not right in the eyes of the Lord. Now in verse 17, this, this whole thing here was, I'll say, I'll say it this way, was a gross act of disobedience. Now, disobedience is quite something because you find it throughout the Bible. And obedience is, as far as a lot of the promises of God, a lot of them, obedience is a requirement in order for the promise to be fulfilled. Most Christians don't read their Bible, I believe. I'm not saying you, I'm just saying in general. I mean, if you read your Bible, things are so clear as far as if you do this, this is the promise that's fulfilled. If you do not do this, then this is going to take place. And so it doesn't matter if I claim this over here, if I'm not meeting the condition in the scripture, I'm wasting my breath. That's just a little side thing there. Verse 15, did we read verse 15? Yes, verse 17. Therefore, now this is because of what we just read, because of what they were doing. The sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred abhorred the offering of the Lord. Let me read this from another translation. So the sin of these young men, Eli's sons, was very serious in the Lord's sight, For they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. Verse 22. Now Eli was very old, and he he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear... You make the Lord's people transgress or sin. Now, Eli identifies in verse 23 that his sons were doing evil, evil dealings. And it seems to me that the Lord wanted Eli to take stronger action against his sons. But Eli only said this in word only. There's a time for saying things in word. Some of you have kids, you know this. And then there's time where you have to do something other than speak. So our kids were pretty good. We would say things and they would listen most of the time. But we never had to really, you know, come down to crunch time. But... He needed to take a stronger action, and he didn't. So now we see, and we'll see that here now as we continue to read. Verse 27. Then a the man of God came to Eli and said to him, doesn't even mention who this man was, some prophet, who knows? I like that. Now, be, be nobody. I, I, I like it when I'm a nobody, nobody knows about me. You know, you go to church, you go to another church, and nobody knows who you are. That's good. That's the best I didn't even want you to get up and say anything. But he did anyway. <laughs> it's good to be a nobody. Then a man came, a, a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they, they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? He's talking about the Levites. To offer upon my altar to burn incense, and to wear an ephah before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifices and my offerings? The word kick there means to despise, to loathe, to loathe. In other words, there was an unwillingness to do things the right way. And I I can't help but to think that you know, whenever they, they came and took the meat from the pot, his sons, that it's quite possible that Eli also shared in the booty, you know, the meat that they took and made him hesitant to discipline them further. Verse twenty nine. Why do you kick at my sacrifices and my offering, which I have command commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourselves fat? See yourselves. That's in, meaning all of them, with what I could see, fat with the best of all of the offerings of the, of the Israel, my people. They were unwilling to do as the Lord instructed. Now, I understand the sons because it says they didn't know the Lord. But see, there's no excuse because they saw the example of what to do and how to do it right. But even with Eli, there's something there that isn't right with him because, you know, he, he, there's certain clues you get in certain chapters here, certain verses. And the Lord comes down on that, whatever, whatever his heart was in this, the Lord comes down on it and says, you have made yourself fat with the best of the offering, and you honored your sons more than you honored me. Boy, what, what a thing to be accused of by the Lord. I would not want to honor anyone over the Lord. No one, including myself. Well, myself's the first one. Amen myself the first one Well, I I wouldn't want to honor myself I I don't need that what am I going to do with that anyway what good is it (laughs) I mean it it doesn't do any good to honor the Lord with your life Do you know what there's a scripture just remind, remind me there's a scripture in Isaiah you know how to honor the Lord I may have shared this with you last year you know how the Bible says to honor the Lord you want to honor the Lord do you you want to the Lord? It says in Isaiah, Honor the Lord by not doing your ways. Wow. I thought going to church and reading the Bible was honoring the Lord. I thought, you know, being nice to people was honoring. Well, you should be doing all that. But he says, by not doing your ways. Or another way to say it is by doing... The Lord's way doing what he wants. You honor him. Now in verse, we'll read verses 30 through 33. Then we're going to stop and look at something here. Therefore, because of what has taken place with Eli and his sons, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that, oh, we read that verse. Did we? No, we didn't. I said indeed that, that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. So that's what he said. We're going to come back to that. And now the Lord says, Be it far from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your your arm and the arm of your father's house, so that there will... He's talking about his descendants... So that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from the altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. Wow. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Well, that's that's quite a pronouncement from the Lord on this priest, Eli. Now, in verse 30, back up there just for a moment, he says here, For those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. The word despise there... That's a verb in the Hebrew, and that is a participle, which means that it's a continual action. So this wasn't a one-time thing, is what the Bible is saying, but this was a continual thing with the sons of Eli. So, you know, it's like that not if we, it's like if not if we make one mistake or sin, but if we continually sin, that's something different, quite different. Now, I want to draw your attention to something here. Sometimes when I'm reading, that's why I'm telling you to read the Bible slow, sometimes when you read, the Lord will bring maybe a word or a phrase to your attention. And when the Lord brings something like that to my attention, I stop. And I'll jot it down, and I'll start to look at that. There's a phrase here, If you don't mind, I raise it There's a phrase here in verse 30, and I'll just write it up here. I'm going to show you something here. These things occurred. You sinned. You didn't correct your children. Taking them out of the priesthood, whatever it may be. They were sinning with the, the people of Israel that caused them to sin. They did all these things. Even though I promised you such and such. I promised you, what does, it, what does it say? Verse 30. I said, indeed, that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. Even though the Lord promised that, now he changed his mind. There's a conditional clause related to obedience here in this verse. And let me just show you. Hold your place and go to Deuteronomy real fast just to show you an example of this. Deuteronomy 28, real quick. The latter part of verse 1 says that the Lord God will set you high above all the nations of earth. Hallelujah, right? Praise the Lord. He's going to set you above high. I've heard people say that. The Lord's going to set you up high. He's going to make you the head, not the tail. All these things, you know. Now let's read the whole verse. Now it shall come to pass if, 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 very big word, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you, because you do, because you obey, then he will do what he says. He will set you high above all the nations of the earth. So there's a condition, as I said, when you read the scriptures, you need to look you will see conditions all over the place. Even in Paul's writing, Peter's, the Gospels. Jesus, Jesus, he's our example. He gives conditions on a lot of things. You can't be a disciple. There's conditions for a disciple. You can be a believer. You can go to heaven. But now when you're going to be a disciple, that's something different. You know that, right? Okay, this phrase, but now, shows here a change in God's promise. I'm not going to worry about my penmanship, by the way, because I want to get it done fast. And I want to give you another example, but we're running out of time. And I'll just I'll just say this. Let's just go to Exodus real quick. Exodus thirty-two, in Exodus thirty-two, verse nine. And the Lord said to Moses, "I have seen this this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And I will make of you Moses a great nation." Now, the context here is that Moses went up to the mountain and they built the golden calf. Now, the condition condition that needed to be met to fulfill the promise that God made was that they were to serve the Lord with all their heart, with all their mind, and so on. And here, they didn't do that. So they weren't obedient to the commandment of the Lord. And you know what takes place eventually. They don't go into the promised land. The Lord says many times that, you know, I'm going to take them into the promised land. And then he doesn't. Why? Not because, you know, of him. He lays it out to them. Well, okay, if you obey, such and such will take place. The promise will be fulfilled. If you disobey... It will not. Now we see that, we read that, we know it's in Deuteronomy, we see it in Exodus, we say it, and maybe not with our, with our mouth, but in our heart. Well, that's that's them. Well, it applies to us. It's a principle. It's a principle, and that same principle applies to you and to me. You you can't get away from it. Now, what happens is that in the, that portion of Scripture in, in um, Exodus 32 that Moses intercedes, and God doesn't destroy them. Good thing, good thing he did. But if he wouldn't have done that, God would have just, okay, it's done. The the, the phrase here, but now, also introduces, and I said this, an unmet condition. Now, we're not going to have time to look at this, but I'll just kind of paraphrase, in Samuel 13 and in Samuel 15, Samuel 13, Samuel tells Saul, he says, don't sacrifice till I come. He says, wait seven days. This is an interesting story we're going to look at later. So Saul, he waits one, two, three, four, five, six days and the armies of the Philistines. Now, we have no idea. We can't relate to that. You know, it's you know they, they were like the sand of the sea. There were so many of the Philistines out there, and these people were warlike people, and they're breathing down Israel's neck, and they're going to come in, and they're going to destroy them. So, so Saul doesn't have as many men. He doesn't have probably the horses, and I don't remember if they had chariots or not. They may have. Um, so they were not equipped like the Philistines. And so the pressure is upon Saul. And Saul, remember, was anointed king. The Lord wanted him to be a godly king and lead the people and so on. So now the pressure's on him, and he disobeys the Lord. Samuel says, the Lord says to tell him, Wait till I come. So he waits seven days, probably in the morning he sacrifices, and Samuel comes you know, right after that, noontime. He sacrifices at 10, Samuel comes at 12. I'm just you know, saying that. But he comes right after that. And you know, that, that's, that's kind of like the Lord. I, mean, keep, I don't know about you, but as, ever since I became a Christian, the Lord's kept me waiting. It's either one thing or the other. You're waiting, 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 waiting. And waiting's not bad, you know, because waiting can develop something in you that nothing else can. We're used to getting everything we want when we want it. That's our society all the way down. And the Lord wants us to wait. Not just wait, but wait on Him. There's a difference just waiting. You can wait around, you can go down... The bus stop and wait around. <laughs> but the Lord wants us to wait with a purpose for Him, for the answer, for the direction, whatever it may be. Just recently, things in our life have, have changed so much, it's just unbelievable. Change change is not always bad. Sometimes change is really good. But we need to adjust to things. And the Lord showed me some things that I'm not liberty to share with anyone. But now I'm waiting, I'm going to see, okay, Lord. Uh, it was just like you know, clear. Okay, this is, this is what is there. This is what I I, I'm, I want, and, and we'll see how things go. So I'm just waiting, as always. So he doesn't wait, and he sacrifices, and he disobeys, and the Lord says, and tells Samuel. I am sorry that I picked Saul as king. Go anoint someone else, you know, one who who is uh, after my own heart. Hmm, that's nice. So he didn't wait. Took matters in his own hands. And the thing is that just one act of disobedience is not is not going to sideline you. You understand that. But if you see, the Bible gives you. Just enough. I think it's chapter 15 where he spares Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and they're supposed to wipe them out. So that's a, you see this pattern developing in, in the life of Saul. And so, even with Saul, there was this unmet condition I am going to anoint you king, but now, because you went your own way, you did your own thing, you disobeyed time after time. Now I'm going to seek for another, someone who is after mine own heart. So, the Lord could promise you something. The Lord can say, I'm going to, to, to use you in a particular thing. And because of our lack of response to him, or because of our disobedience to him, or because maybe we ignore him, he'll pass us by. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen the Lord pass people by. Called by God. But see, the call is one thing. With the call, there are conditions. And if the conditions go unmet, then that call may not be ever realized. The fulfillment of that may never occur, and I've seen that too. So this phrase is very interesting. So you see, it can introduce a, an, an unmet condition, with, as I said, with Saul. Now, here's, the, here's another one. This is, the, this is the best of all. It can introduce a godly direction. And I'll read this. This is Psalm 119.67. The psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. See, there's a change of direction, and that direction is a godly direction. Introduced by that phrase, But now. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Now, do you remember the story where God sends a prophet to the capital of Assyria? Does anybody know what the capital of Assyria was? Nineveh. Nineveh. And he sends this prophet. Or he wants to send this prophet. And Jonah doesn't want to go. We know the whole story. But eventually, he had to go. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, you know, God will do something despite us. I mean, even, even if we're in the way, so to speak. He would, Jonah was in the way. And, you know, he wanted to use him, Jonah didn't want, want to be used. So finally, you know, the fish got him to see the light, so to speak. <laughs> he dumped them down on the shore. So he goes and he preaches to the Ninevites. And remember, the, the Ninevites were, the, the Assyrians were. Some of the most brutal people in the Bible. You know, you wonder why the Lord wipes some some races out. Well, there's reasons for that. Uh, With the Assyrians, when they would conquer a city, they would take men, women, and children, and they'd put big stakes in the ground and impale people. They'd cut off their hands, they'd cut off their fingers, they'd cut off their feet, they'd cut off their ears. They were brutal, brutal people. So when God judges and says something, you know it's a righteous judgment. Whether we understand it or not, or whether people in the world understand it or not, that's beside the point, because God is God. He's going to do what he wants. And I I agree with him, even though sometimes I say, I don't know about this, Lord. I don't know. But here's here's a verse. I'll read it. Then God saw their works. This is the Ninevites. Remember, they repented. The only, the only generation of the Assyrians that repented was Jonah. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways, and God relented. Or, But now God changed his mind from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So they were evil, God was going to destroy them, because they repented, but now God changed his mind. Pretty nice. Pretty nice. So this phrase can introduce a godly direction. Now you have these people that are, that are saved. They know the God of Israel. In closing, let's go to Ephesians. We'll look at one more verse in Samuel. But Ephesians, chapter 2. Well, you have to give me an extra five minutes because you, you took seven minutes from me. I'm taking every second, brother. I'm not used to teaching for an hour. I'm used to teaching for an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and a half. Can I have a half hour of your class? What was that about adjusting amen okay I'll take that seven (laughs) we were sons of disobedience the bible says and we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel how many know what the commonwealth of Israel is by the way it's the commonwealth of Pennsylvania It's all the money that the state of Pennsylvania and the holdings that they have. Well, this is different. The Commonwealth of Israel. No. No. The Commonwealth was all these godly men, the prophets, the seers, and all that that God had raised up there. That's a Commonwealth that the people had available to them that could help them you know, to, to change the direction of your life, you know, to get instruction from, and so on. We were alien, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Chapter 2, verse 12. That at that time you were with, without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been made near by the blood of Christ. See, so when you came to the Lord, there's a but now, and you have a godly direction now. A godly direction. Chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see this. Are you understanding? This is a small phrase. And, and you read your Bible. You pay attention to what you're reading. And the Lord will take a word. He'll take a phrase. And he'll show you something. Now, I didn't get this from a commentary. You know that. There's no commentaries with this stuff in it. You, where, where do you get it? We well, can't twist the Lord's arm either. You commit yourself. You surrender your heart. And you say, okay, Lord, I'm yours. Do with me what you want. And the Lord will take your offering. You know, the offering. And back in in Leviticus, they took the sacrifice. They brought it over to the the brazen altar and tied the sacrifice. And they tied it up there so the priest could, could... you know, kill it, that the blood would flow down near the brazen altar. Well, that, the sacrifice isn't an animal that you're bringing. The sacrifice is to be you, you. Last verse, and we'll close 1 Samuel, chapter two. I'm going to read this from the New King James. That's what I'm using, and then I have it in my notes because I like the way, the way the King James says it. Verse 26. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. There's an order there. You grow favor with the Lord first, then men. Amen. Now the King James says, and the child Samuel grew on. I like that. He grew on. In other words, it's not just talking, I don't believe, about his physical growth. Although, you know, your kid, you grow on, you get bigger. But he's growing on in the Lord. Because the Lord is going to raise up a man who will be a prophet, a priest, and a judge. The only one I find in the Bible. From this little kid. <laughs> so the but now that we want in our life as Christians is this one that takes us in a godly direction now because of what we have given to the Lord or, or our obedience, whatever it may be. The, the direction that we're going, uh, obeying the commandment or whatever it may be. The button now, okay, you came to class You didn't understand a thing. You sat there and said, what is going on here at this school? They teach, but I don't understand what they're saying. I hear the words, but I don't understand what's going on. And then you're here for two years, and there's a, but now you see. (laughs) Hallelujah. Now the Lord opens things up to you. That's how this is to work. That's how it's to work. Father, we thank you for tonight. I thank you, Lord, for each person here. I pray, Lord, that they would give you their lives wholly to you. That they would turn their back on sin to walk with you. So that, Lord, maybe five years down the road, you can give them something that they never had before, and they would see something that they never saw ever before. and and can rejoice in you because of your goodness and your grace and your truth that you you give them. We thank you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.